As of today, the 16th of August, 2021, the Taliban have entered Kabul. Every other major city in Afghanistan has fallen, and it looks likely before long the country will fall under their control. I wanted to make this episode because of the pervasive and disturbing myths that have evolved around the Taliban, myths which seem solely to justify apathy in the face of barbarity. So today I will be trying to quickly answer the question, who are the Taliban and where did they come from? People often think the Taliban was created by the CIA. That is not true. To break down who the Taliban are as basically as possible, for 10 years the CIA funded a group called the Mujahideen to fight the Soviet Union. After the war, some Mujahideen became or joined the Taliban, others did not. And so was born three decades of war. Between 1979 and 1989, the CIA engaged in Operation Cyclone, arming, training, funding Mujahideen fighters. The Taliban did not exist at this point. The Taliban would be founded by Muhammad Omar in 1994. Now, to be clear, many people, including the Taliban, claim the Mujahideen became the Taliban. This is not true. The Mujahideen were not a coherent organization. They were a loosely affiliated group of anti-communist militias. Many Mujahideen would go on to fight for the Taliban, and just as many would fight against them. In fact, the former Minister of Defence and the main opposition to the rise of the Taliban in the early 1990s was Ahmed Shah Massoud, the Lion of the Panjshir, and a former Mujahideen commander. Essentially, everyone fighting during Afghanistan's civil war were former Mujahideen. At the time, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a former Mujahideen. However, two realities led to much of the US funding going to extremists. First, the US were undiscriminating. If you were good at killing communists, you were alright by them. Second, Pakistan. Most of the supplies during this period were channeled through Pakistan into Pashtun majority areas. Now, Pakistan diverted much of these resources to people they thought of as friendly. Spoiler alert, they weren't as friendly to Pakistan as Pakistan thought. And the reality on the ground was that the Pashtun areas were the Afghan equivalent of the Bible Belt, the most religiously extreme parts of Afghanistan. One group, Hezbi Islami, who would splinter into several groups and who Muhammad Omar, the founder of the Taliban, would fight with, were funded heavily by the USA and Pakistan. Their leader would go on to lead an insurgency against the US coalition. Following the fall of the Soviet occupation, Afghanistan immediately collapsed into chaos. And this is where the Taliban come from. The Taliban were founded in 1994 by Muhammad Omar, a one-eyed former Mujahideen fighter. Omar is an enigma, and much of his life is still a mystery. Born to a rural family, Omar's father was a religious leader, but died when Omar was very young. The young man travelled to Pakistan with his family for education in a madrasa, a religious school, and during the Soviet invasion was studying at an Islamic university in Karachi, Pakistan. Around 1982, he returned to rural Afghanistan to establish a madrasa and become a minor religious leader, before joining Hezbi Islami, a local Mujahideen militia group based around pan-Islamic ideology. Following the war, Omar returned to the village of Singhasar and his madrasa in the country's south. Now, the South was one of the most brutal parts of Afghanistan, and dozens of petty and brutal warlords fought for dominance, raping and pillaging with immunity. 
1994, two local women were kidnapped by a local warlord. Omar raised and armed his students to fight back. The word Taliban is a Pashto word derived from the Arabic Talib, meaning student. And a few dozen armed students stormed the compound, freed the women, and hung the warlord and his commanders. It is a tragic irony that a group founded on protecting women and civilians and punishing rapists would go on to use mass rape and suicide bombings as their weapons. Now, at this point, to the people of southern Afghanistan, the Taliban looked like angels. And it wasn't long before young men were flocking to the Taliban to save them. Several influential former Mujahideen warlords saw promise in Omar and allied with him, and within just a few months, Omar's forces took Kandahar. Over the next year, the Taliban picked up steam. Though espousing a fundamentalist view of Islam, the Taliban were not, at this point, horrific. They guaranteed religious freedom, and under their rule, corruption was controlled, and the terror and chaos of the civil war subsided. It often surprises people that there was a point when the Taliban were promising religious freedom. Following their initial gains, the Taliban courted supporters around the world. Their two major backers would be Saudi Arabian Wahhabists and the Pakistani intelligence services, who would allegedly arm and train the Taliban extensively, providing logistical support up until the September 11th attacks in 2001, and allegedly continuing to provide support till today. Between 1994 and 1996, the Taliban rapidly spread across Afghanistan, and the US and NATO no longer cared, since communism was gone. But also, because at the time, no one was overly concerned about pan-Islamist ideologies. Now, after their rapid advance, the Taliban began to run into a problem. Competence. Within Kabul, corruption was rife. However, one man, Ahmad Shah Massoud, then Defence Minister, was a masterful commander. He had, unfortunately, fallen into a Napoleon-esque situation where no one in the government trusted him. As the Taliban advanced drew closer, he was given what he needed and briefly he began pushing back against their advance. During this time, the Taliban became a symbol for pan-Islamist fighters all over the world and Arabs and Pakistanis poured in to support this growing group. In 1995, the Taliban began employing their first suicide bomb attacks. This coincided with an influx of Egyptian and Saudi Arabian extremist volunteers. The new, brutal methods of warfare broke the line and Kabul quickly fell. Ahmad Shah Massoud organised the evacuation of Kabul and the remaining government forces rallied in the north, forming the United Islamic Front, later called the Northern Alliance. Within the Northeast, controlled by Massoud, he had instituted universal education for boys and girls, freedom of speech and religion, and people from across the country flocked to his mountain fortress for protection. Further west, his main ally, Rashid Dostum, was just another warlord, and rape and extortion were endemic. Now, much of what is known about the Taliban during this period is still uncertain, however, as the Taliban began their campaign north, numerous observers noted that the Taliban forces were becoming increasingly foreign. The Taliban have always been a Pashtun organisation. Pashtuns are an ethnic group in the south of Afghanistan, who at the time made up about 30% of the country's population. Today, they make up 40% of the population. 
they chiefly live along the southern borders of Afghanistan and in northern Pakistan. However, as the fight continued, more and more of the Taliban's forces were made up of pan-Islamist volunteers out of Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan. During this period, the roving armies of Arab extremists grew in wealth and influence. Al-Qaeda was heavily involved. Wherever these groups went, horrific war crimes inevitably followed. In the last major conflicts of the Civil War, observers noted that Taliban forces contained few Afghans. As these groups became more common and more influential, it was noted the Taliban suddenly changed. Where before they had left religious minorities alone, suddenly genocides were occurring. Suddenly the government was decimating religious sites and purging anyone who wasn't a strict Sunni Muslim. Suicide attacks and attacks on women only became more frequent, and mass rape became a regular tool of terror. The reign of terror of the Taliban would only grow stronger. Watching television, listening to music, and even flying kites were banned, and thousands were stoned to death in abandoned sports stadiums across the country. In just two years, the Taliban had transformed into exactly what it had set out to fight. Now, what led to this change is difficult to say. However, experts on the region argue that the influx of pan-Islamist Wahhabist extremists, most notably Al-Qaeda, is responsible for converting the hardline Taliban into extremists. Suicide bombings coincided with influxes of Egyptian extremists who had been using suicide attacks themselves, and the beginning of attacks on religious minorities coincided with the arrival of Al-Qaeda and other extreme Wahhabist groups. As the Taliban became more reliant on external support, they had to convert to become more and more extreme to maintain this support. Likewise, the Taliban were heavily backed by Pakistani Pashtuns. Extremism in Pakistan was growing as well. However, there is an interesting side note here. The Pakistani Pashtuns were at least, probably, armed by the Pakistani CIA, called the ISI, who are a terrifying and brutal power unto themselves. Why the ISI is doing this, nobody really knows. They are a very secretive organisation, and journalists who sniff around them wind up horrifically and brutally tortured to death. However, they are important because the rise of extremism in these pan-Islamic movements like the Wahhabists, like Al-Qaeda, is heavily linked to groups like the ISI. Those Egyptian terrorists I mentioned earlier, well, terror experts pinpoint the rise of extremism among Egyptian militants to the brutal military crackdown on the Muslim Brotherhood between the 1970s and 1980s by Egyptian authorities. Many senior Al-Qaeda members came out of Egypt during this period. Al-Zawahiri, the current leader of Al-Qaeda, was himself picked up and brutally tortured by police as a young man in the Muslim Brotherhood. Likewise in Pakistan, the Pakistani government, military and ISI have occasionally committed horrendous acts of murder and torture on political enemies, possibly leading to the radicalization of young Islamists both inside and out of the country. As for the many, many extremists who keep coming out of Saudi Arabia, well that is a topic for another episode. Afghanistan is a complex country. It is a true multi-ethnic, cultural and religious melting pot, and the Taliban are doing their best to bring an end to that. Following their ascension, the Taliban engaged in widespread genocide of the Hazara people. 
Afghanistan's fourth largest ethnic group, making up about 10% of the population, driving them from the country and mass murdering those who remained. Afghanistan is complicated, and it is okay not to understand it. I don't. I only have a smattering of history learned years ago traveling along the Silk Road. But the myths that have grown around the country seem to be solely to justify apathy in the face of profound human suffering, to strip Afghans of their agency and their humanity. That is all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.